idiots. Like Casey says, fella ain't got a soul of his own, just a little piece of a big soul. The one big soul that belongs to everybody. Then... Then what, Doc? Then it don't matter. I'll be all around in the dark. I'll be everywhere. Wherever you can look. Wherever there's a cop beating up a guy. I'll be there. I'll be in the way kids laugh when they're hungry and they know supper's ready. And when the people are eating the stuff they raise and living in the houses they build, I'll be there too. I don't understand it, though. Me neither, Ma, but just something I've been thinking about. You're listening to the All That's Holy Blue Collar Podcast. Thought-provoking interviews with interesting guests and commentary on everything. From sports to gardening, from good food with close friends, to great music and movies. Provided by your hosts, Justin Ackerman, the millennial, Cody Stoffer, the reluctant Gen Xer, and Craig Morton, the token baby boomer. These guys are allergic to big words, but not to big ideas. Profound things will be said, but they will be entirely by accident. Hey, thanks for checking out episode number three of the podcast. On this episode, we interview Dustin Williams, the head athletic trainer for the U.S. Olympics track and field team. He talks about the upcoming games in Rio and some other things. Craig, Justin, and Cody talk about Black Lives Matter, um, about not calling our parents in too long, and a few other things. Music featured on this episode includes new music from Jeff Beck, Y Oak, and the Avett Brothers. Talking a little about last week's event. You know, I, I've, I've seen some uh, insightful things coming from strange sources dealing with the issue of all blacks, uh, all, all, uh, black, black lives matter versus all lives matter. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have a, I have a, f- a friend who um, comes from a very strong libertarian kind of political background who tends to uh, give space for all different views as long as, you know, kind of in that libertarian mindset, nobody steps on each other's toes and, you know, restricts one another's freedoms. Right. But regarding this issue, he's he seems to come from a place that's very homogenized in general, leaning toward the all lives matter than at affirming the individual mm-hmm. that libertarians tend to, you know. In, uh, uh, yeah. To, to lift up and then from a, a another uh, friend pretty much just a Facebook friend somebody who I've met a few times another pastor in the area who's you know much more conservative than I am on politics which is a lot of people really yeah, right but um, he came out with a, a, a comment on Facebook that I thought was wonderful he was quoting out of the Greek text from the Great Commission about you know being sent out to preach the 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 gospel to all nations mm-hmm. and so he made sure to go to the greek to use to, to notice how the word nations is actually ethne or ethnos okay which isn't really nations with but you know borders right. and, and governments it has to do with um subcategories of of people mm-hmm. yeah i remember years ago len sweet said uh that word ethne 
could be interpreted to mean like you know skater punks sure you know uh, you know, other people, you know, th those other subgroups in culture that are that are easily identified. Mm -hmm. And then in his post, he went on to talk about how God cares about sending Jonah to Ninevites. Right. You know, how uh, in heaven it's every tribe, every tongue, you know, every nation, mm -hmm. you know, all these individual pieces coming together with their individuality. Right. And leaning towards yeah. this kind of all lives uh, matter but they matter in their unique particularity. Yep. So all black lives matter, all, all Inuit lives matter, mm -hmm. all Asian Pacific you know, lives matter. And that's the way God functions, is with unique particularity, not with the homogenous general. And I thought that was a really interesting biblical hermeneutic. Right. And he pushed it one step further, that if we if we go toward the all lives matter kind of general homogenized huma humanity, we start becoming Gnostic. Right. And in some ways, you know, my thought is then we begin to also deny the, the incarnation of Christ mm. who came as a Jewish palace, you know, Jewish Palestinian man, at, you know, in, in, in those days of the Roman empire. Mm. That's good. Uh, and, and so I think there's, there's probably a, a a way of reading the Bible and noticing how many times God affirms the unique subgroup, the ethne or the ethnos. Right. And when we move push towards, well, all lives matter, all lives matter. We, we, we may, we may be stepping in. We, we could, we could slide into heresy. And I think that's an interesting, mm, that's a good thought. Interesting interpretation of that. That's a really good thought. Well, and I think, you know, this makes me think of, uh, <clears throat> I heard somebody say, and I, I think I've repeated this a few times before in sermons and stuff, but, uh, you know, you could talk about the general and the broad, because that's easy. You know, okay, I love everyone. I love, yeah. you know, the world. I love, well, okay, yeah, anyone can say that, but show me in this individual right here. You know, when it comes down to the specific, oh, oh, that person? Oh, no, no, no. I mean, I don't, yes, I love all people, but that person's a little <laughs> hard to, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. You know, exactly. right. You know what I mean? Like it's e like the general, the big specific, it's nice and it's, a, you know, and you should. It's, it's a, a great goal to love everyone. So let's start with, you know, this person, this specific person next door to you or whatever, you know? Yeah, and that that's harder. That's a lot harder work because then you know when it's, it's you, a lot harder. right when you lump everyone all together, you know, okay, yeah, that's overarching. I don't have to zero in on their annoying traits and habits and whatever right. or those things I don't like about them. But when it comes to that individual down to the narrow specific, then it gets a lot harder because now you do have to learn how to uh, live and love in spite of whatever you know hang up you might have with that person. Another yeah. part of that is the to, to be to authentically love everybody mm -hmm. would would require of an individual. I mean, to do it authentically, it requires of an individual that they love people in the way that person needs to be loved. Right. Exactly. And, and anybody who's got more than one child kind of figures that one out. Yep. You know that you, you yeah. never no, kids never get the same thing. Right. You know, one might get more, one might get less, one might get different. It's never equal. Yeah. You know, it's parceled out 
whatever the resources are to match what it is that that child needs. Even though you love, you know, well, you, I love all my kids. I if I treated them all the same, they would be really upset. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah, that's true. Uh, let me ask you guys something on this topic. I have I have a question about it. Um, I saw one of my friends on Facebook posted something about uh about um. It was it was something like asking pastors or something to have a response to these shootings, and uh, they can their perception of it has been that a lot of pastors and churches are really trying to stay away from this subject mm. of the shootings. And, I mean, sure, like before a sermon, they might ask for prayer for sure. the families and stuff. Right. It's all fine and good, but their perception was that too many too many people in the religious sector, like in the you know, pastors and such, they're really trying to avoid talking about this in order to prevent any controversy. I mean, has that been your guys' uh, perception of what's going on, or do you think a lot of pastors are stepping up? Because, Craig, you mentioned one pastor who had something interesting to say, and I think it was good that he was saying something about it. I'm not sure if that's the norm or what. Mm. Well, yeah, go ahead. So, you know, Cody, you you and I are both you know, functioning as leaders in denominational churches. Right. And I, I, I think there may be a, a difference there at that denominational right. level. I was reading something from one of the Episcopal bishops in Texas mm -hmm. who was designing a worship service, you know, around the Eucharist and right. out around the celebration of the resurrection mm -hmm. to deal specifically with these issues of the past week, the right. shooting is the, the shootings of both, um, you know the individuals who were shot by the police, but also the police shot by the by the sniper. Mm. Um, and yeah. so, so you know, from a denominational perspective, I think these denominational systems are trying to deal with it. Right. What I don't know about is the independent, you know, uh, kinds of congregations. Right. Yeah, me neither. So, in my experience, again, yeah, in denominational. So I'm in the UMC, and I mean the UMC is is essentially has a history steeped in you know, being involved in the society and, the, and, and in issues that are going on. So as far as I know, like, I think almost every UMC pastor I know dealt with it this last Sunday, you know, talked about it, like, in, in their sermons and everything. I'm pretty sure a lot of them, quite a bit of them. Um, well, I know our, our, our preacher yesterday mm -hmm. had, a, had a wonderful uh, reading of the lectionary passage, the lectionary, lectionary text for the gospel came from the story of the Good Samaritan. Yes, excellent. Mm -hmm. And and uh, the preacher, uh, my wife, Carla, <laughs> chose huh. to not think of the um, the you know the wounded traveler on the side of the road as mm -hmm. as black people, right? You know, because I mean that'd be an easy interpretation, right? Uh, rather uh, have that person be us. Mm -hmm. Or anybody we know, and aid comes from, you know, the black community. What mm -hmm. would it be like to have the tide to to have these roles reversed? Right. Um, you know, what would it be like to have uh, assistance and care come from, not a Samaritan, but somebody who is being uh, portrayed in in, um, you know, his you know the, the history of racism as the yeah. one who brings healing. Yeah, and you know, we, we didn't go down that road 
in later conversation and reflection on the text together, but um, you know that's exactly what happened during the civil rights movement. Right. You know, it was it was from those who were the the oppressed and the victim that the rest of society was was nurtured and yeah. and and uh, you know um, mm. brought brought healing. You know yeah. it wasn't from you know Lyndon Johnson's uh, civil rights you know legislation that healing came. Yeah. Although I mean, yeah. that, obviously that was a a component that was <laughs> could be used. But... Helped all What's that? I was say obviously that legislation still helped a little. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, I agree with Craig. Yeah, I mean the actual spiritual, moral, whatever the healing. Yeah, it really did come from the oppressed. To yeah, that's amazing. Well, and and so that puts me in mind of, you know, right now, um, I think I shared on Facebook a video of gang members in L.A., black gang members coming together. Bloods and Crips, led by of oh, all, I yeah, yeah, led by of all people, Snoop Dogg and another rap, uh, another rapper named The Game, came together, marched, yeah, I... marched to the L.A. Police Department and came to them and said, "We support you. We love you. We want to reintroduce ourselves to you, and uh, let you see that we are, you know, we're the same. We have a lot of the." you know, we, we have the same hopes, fears, struggles that you do. And it just so happened, they didn't plan it this way, but it just so happened that same day, it was the graduation of the new police, uh, cadets, you know, were graduating to be full officers. And so when they showed up, there was this, they were already in this graduation ceremony. So they actually literally got to meet these new cops and introduce themselves and look at them in the eye and let them know, we love you. We support you. We want to talk and have a dialogue uh, because this has to end. You know, this stuff has to stop. So yeah, that, yeah. I remember hearing about that with the game and with Snoop Dogg. And you're right, that is a huge deal. I mean, that's really nothing we've seen right over the past, you know, however many years there've been blood and crips in L.A. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a big deal. And I think it to me, you know, that's I don't know. I feel like. Um, I don't know. I just feel like even though, yes, this last week was pretty tragic, you know, things like that. And, and the fact that the uh, Dallas police officers, you know, knew at least in the moment, they seemed to know that it wasn't the black life matters people who were inflicting the harm. In fact, they were protecting the black lives, uh, protesters, the matters protesters from the shooters as well. I mean, I don't know. I just feel like there's, even though it was tragic this last week, I don't, I feel like there's good things coming. You know, I feel like there are, a lot of people are looking at this going, the world is going to hell and everything's spinning out of control. And yet there's some good, there is, there's some good conversation happening. There's some good movements happening. I don't know. I feel like it's actually a, a birth pain almost. That reminded me there was a, there was a conversation on Facebook and I can't remember what thread I was reading or what it was exactly as far as the beginning of it, but it was toward the end was was some preachers, preachers having conversations. How do you find stories of authenticity mm-hmm. uh, to help us change this social narrative that, you know, we're in the midst of a, you know, black and white uh, racial battle? Right. 
you know, where, where, how, how do you find these stories? And so I, what, what I, what I hear in that question is a pleading to change the narrative, right? Exactly. But to change the narrative authentically, yep. rather than trying to spin a good story, where, yeah. how do you find these good stories? Yep. And so, so to find those stories, like, um, like the one you just mentioned with the, the, the Crips and the Bloods, how do you, gosh, how do you find those stories? Right. I think they don't just fall into your feet. Right. I mean, you got to go looking for them. Mm-hmm. And it probably says something about the social networks within, within which we function. Yeah. True. Whether or not we find those. True. Very true. Well, and I think, I don't know, I just, you know, so Justin and I have had this conversation a little bit before. It seems right now that it is, there's more racism than ever, you know, like it seems that way. And I agree to an extent. I agree that, you know, the outwardness of it anyway, I mean, the at least the expression of it seems to be more than I've ever experienced in my entire life. And of course, there's a lot of things that compound that. Of, uh, you know, Justin and I are both young, so we didn't um, live through yeah. the civil rights era. So well, we didn't experience yeah, I that. Understand though that I didn't say it was worse now more than ever. Sure. I said that it's been increasing. In it's our... been increasing over the past fifteen years. Right, 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 right. And and I think adding to that is also the idea of you know twenty four hours connectivity, you know, of news yeah. and things like that. I mean, I think that adds to it. But I also think this, and I've been thinking about this this last week. I think that as something as change comes, as um, because at the same time, I also feel like there's far more people who are willing to, to have conversations about this and admit and say, yeah, we still have a long way to go than ever before, too, at the same time. So it's, we got these two things happening. And what I think is going on is that things, as they change, the old has a way of kind of really digging in, you know, like, no, we're not going to go away and so it seems more intense a lot of times right before things change, you know. Yeah. Right, right. I, I, I. A friend who and I were having a conversation uh, on Facebook was thinking that identifying, you know, all Black Lives Matter as opposed to the All Lives Matter uh, kind of conversation, you know, just heightens the the anxiety. Does not promote peace. You know, leads towards leads toward um, you know animosity and 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 you know creates enemies and and, and all that kind of kind of along with, along with you know what you're witnessing perhaps yeah. that the animosity seems strongest right now right however I I kind of viewed it a different way I, I would think it's almost like identifying something's wrong in the family system yeah. And uh, in my my first pastorate, I remember there was an individual in the congregation who who needed a you know an intervention process, and we had people gathered around you know this individual, and we sat down and had a conversation about some of the things that were going on in this person's life, and how destructive they were, mm-hmm. and rather than that individual just simply going oh yeah. I guess this is uh, something that needs to change. Yeah, let's let's do this. Uh, rather, he went into a, a, 
kind of a semi-psychotic rage, mm. threw folding chairs and uh, ran out. Mm. Wow. Um, and and that was that was my first pastoral experience with uh, with severe mental illness. Mm -hmm. But the next time we did something similar <laughs> with this individual, mm -hmm. um, you know, we learned things through that first encounter. Right. Other ways to approach and other safeguards to to include. Mm -hmm. And we had the conversation again. And the second time, the the individual. Um, said, I guess I'll trust you. Uh, I'll check myself in for a 72-hour stay at the hospital, mm -hmm. you know, which ended up turning into to two weeks yeah. and then to three weeks, and I think probably at, at about a month. Oh, wow. You know, had had the appropriate kind of biochemical balance with medications and stuff. Mm -hmm. But it was, you know, it it really really erupted when we brought out the problem. Mm -hmm. And and the healing yeah. wasn't going to come unless we went through that. Right. Exactly. Stage. Exactly. And I wonder if that's what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Are we going through a, a process of kind of social mm. intervention? Yep. And we're actually having that you know folding chair get thrown across the church, you know, fellowship hall, mm. um, because that's just what we've got to go through. Right. It's yep. It's a journey, and that's one step in the journey. <clears throat> I like it. That's a good thought. And I, so and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Peace, peace comes through through struggle, I guess. Yeah, there. Yep. In some sense, it really does. You know, owning up to what you need to deal with sometimes on our. I mean, even on our even in our own individual cases. You know, when we have something in ourselves that we need to confront, something that we need we know is a is an issue, or maybe we don't even know it's an issue, but we you know there's this thing that's holding me back or whatever it is. When you first initially deal with though don't we lie to ourselves and tell ourselves or and we rage against it no it's not a problem no it's not a you know it's not an issue no and you have to you have to have that struggle within yourself because you got to come to that space where you say yeah okay i do need to work through this or whatever you know mm. well and this and and in my sermon yesterday or on sunday yeah i guess it was yesterday um, that was my conversation that I had with uh, the church was, you know, it's easy for us, you know, Craig, you kind of put this in my mind. It's easy for us because we're not in that context. It's easy for us to distance ourselves from it because of where we live and what our, what our surroundings are. You know, we're very here in the Pacific Northwest homogenous in a lot of ways. And, uh, so it's easy for us to look at that and go, well, that's not our problem, our issue. It's not, you know, I have no connection to it. And I encouraged the people in my church to resist that and instead look at themselves and say, that fear, that anger, that hatred, that ignorance, that suffering that's out there, where is it in me? Because we all have it. We all have it within us. And so how can we own up to what we're dealing with on the inside of us and deal with that? And then we can contribute into culture and society something different, you know, but we first must deal with it within us and where it is within us, you know, because we all got it. And we if we were being honest and we're no longer projecting it out there instead, here it is within me. And what do I need to do in me? Because that's where it's got to start, man. That's where a lot of social change 
culture change has to start is within each and every one of us, you know? I'm not afraid of the dark. If we gotta live in the dark, we will live in the dark. Won't see me dying in the light. I will live in the dark. I'm not afraid of the dark. If we gotta live in the dark, we will live in the dark. Won't see me dying in the light. We will live in the dark. Hey, Cody. Yes. yes. What's on your heart? Something's weighing you down. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I do have a confession. So one of my struggles uh, my entire life is this, that I am so an in the now kind of a guy, like meaning like, and and in, in many respects, it's a good thing. Like I'm really focused on what's happening right now. My mind isn't on future things or even on past things. I mean, if I sit and stop, and reflect long enough, you know, some of those things will creep in. But mostly I'm like, hey, this is the thing in front of me right now. These are the people in front of me right now. So here's where my focus is. And that's been pretty good, especially in the career of of a pastor. You know, when you're pastoring people, I'm, all my attention is on um, whatever it is. The problem with that is that, especially when it comes to relationships, when I'm not around people, I tend to kind of forget about them a little bit. And, uh, and you know, I don't make mm. the phone calls. I don't send the emails or messages, you know, to let people know, you know, hey, miss you or whatever, you know, those kind of things. And, you know, that a lot of that is that's just human nature. A lot of times that happens with a lot of people. But where it really gets me is it even impacts like my familial relationships and so my confession is i haven't talked to my mom in a couple weeks and i feel terrible because i just oh oh, that's it i just thought of it this this morning and i uh i realized i need to talk to my mom and i haven't done it in a while (laughs) and a lot of it is because i'm so focused on whatever's happening right now that i forgot i forget and so that's my confession and so i hopefully today I give a call, but I, I have the confession of I've let that slack, and I shouldn't have. Well, what, one thing <laughs> is I I forgive you only because um, – well, I, I shouldn't say only because. It's easy to forgive you of that because I resonate with your challenge and the problems it causes. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay. yes. As do I. As do I. And – and uh, so, so you you said it's human nature, and that's probably part of what it is that it's all about overcoming in, in some ways, right. you know, uh, or, or or kind of a broken down human nature. Mm-hmm. But uh, and and then we have examples of other examples of other people. My sister talks to my dad all the time. Mm. You know, five minute call here, ten minute call there. Right. And nothing saves up to make a long phone call. That's true. 
And for me, I, it's like I get caught up on what I'm doing, I, my daily schedule, the transitions from one thing to another. The next thing I know, the day's done. Next thing I know, the week's done. I go, wait, I didn't call my dad yet. Yeah. Yeah. And and I feel horrible about that. Mm-hmm. But my sister, she'll always just she, – she calls my dad once or twice during the day for just short little calls. Mm. And she's made a habit of it. Right. And um, so I, I kind of have her example in my mind as – Really, I'd like to orient myself toward that. Right. Um, but I, I so I, I, I share your uh, struggle. Yes. Thank and, you. Uh, therefore, it's easy to forgive you for it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> oh. As far, as far as penance. Yes. What do you got for me? Call your mom. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I will. I'm going to do it did, today. Does she listen to the podcast? I, you know, I'm not sure. She might. <laughs> she's gonna, she's gonna start. I think. There ain't no man can't save me. There ain't no man can't enslave me. There ain't nobody here who can cause me pain or raise my fear Cause I got only love to share If you're looking for truth, I'm proof you'll find it there You got to serve something, ain't that right? I know it gets dark, but there's always a light You don't have to buy in to get into the club Trade your worries you gotta show up if you wanna be seen If it matters to you, Ma, it matters to me I'm gonna fall hard, yeah, I know I am When the clouds crack up, I laugh with them There ain't no man Fourth Benson, this is Dustin Hey, Dustin, this is Cody Hey, what's going on? Not a lot, how are you doing? I'm doing well How are you, uh, man, you're like all over the place these days, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> kind of good. Just got back from Eugene last night, so. And that and, was uh, the uh, what was going on in Eugene? The uh, some trials or. So that yeah, that was the Olympic trials to select a team essentially. So, wow! And before uh, that, you were where were you before that? Oh, where wasn't I? That's easier. Uh, I was on for a little bit, and then we were in Eugene for NCAA's a couple weeks before that. Okay. Um, oh, man. So, but yeah, and then I leave tomorrow to go up to Idaho. Um, gonna go for the Atomic Days and my twenty class twenty class reunion. Twenty, 20 year class reunion. I know. Man, uh, isn't that crazy? You're not too far behind me here. So. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I know. It seems like it's gone uh, by, man. I do. It's crazy. So I get back Tuesday, and then I leave Saturday of the 23rd to go to Houston for our USLC team processing, and then uh, the training camp. So, oh, um, so it's going here real quick. So, but it's crazy. exciting. It was a lot of fun to kind of meet all, all the athletes I'm going to be working with in Rio, and so it was a good a good chance. So unfortunately, my wife didn't do as well as we were hoping, but uh, you know, she competed the best that she could and was happy with that and and uh ready to maybe move on from the sport depending on how things go hasn't quite decided yet oh really so that's, that's an option huh yeah i mean she's been doing it for a while and 
tug on the back and body and stuff. So we'll right. see. She's she's competing in Eugene at another meet in on the 29th. Mm-hmm. That'll kind of probably be her last meet of the year. Um, and then uh, we'll we'll see. She's she's definitely not going to do another Olympic trials. Um, yeah. She may compete next year possibly, but. Mm-hmm. I guess the U.S. championships are in Sacramento, which is her hometown. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of tempting her to nice. um, stick around just until then and then call it call it a career. But we'll that would see. be cool, yeah, right in front of the, the hometown crowd. That would be kind of nice. Yeah, they, you know, they did it two years ago, and they did shop it on the Capitol Square and everything. But she literally was in um, – she gave birth to Miley the day of shot put. Oh, <laughs> so, my gosh. So it was like, you know, like, oh, of course, you know, yeah. how it goes. But, but yeah, so we'll see, see how it goes. She got, she's got some time to decide. No, no, no reason to rush into it. So. Right. Okay. So, so tell me about your podcast a little bit, and then <laughs> I, so I know, I know my audience here. Okay. Well, it's a pretty broad, diverse audience because uh, our whole goal really is. Um, we're looking at like all of life. So one of a one of the guys who's a host on the podcast actually is a track and field guy himself. Like he's a big okay. uh, uh, high school. He helps uh, the Meridian High School team, okay. and uh, he's at um, he, he he did he, he's just like specializes in like the hurdles and the sprints and stuff like that. So okay. that's kind of his where he is. But yeah, the audience in general is just kind of a hodgepodge, man, because we talk about everything from movies to sports to, you know, all sorts of stuff. So yeah, just a kind of a general audience and really like the main, kind of the main thrust behind the podcast is to kind of talk about how at a deeper, deeper level, um, uh, there's in a sense, God working behind everything, you know, God's at work in, in everything. So that's why we want to talk about every area. So that's yeah. So that's kind of the gist. Okay. Okay. Cool. So well. And then one thing I was going to correct you with the, on the you posted there. So make sure you stay the athletic trainer because some people get confused when you say trainer because they think it's like personal trainer. Sure. So right. 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 They're always trying to say athletic trainer. But, okay. I'll make sure to put that. So. And then also you, um, if you can uh, message me like a. Um, kind of a photo you wouldn't mind us using that okay yeah to kind of use for media purposes or whatever yeah i mean if there's any a nice but you like i can send okay. you some but you're I a can, nice smiling I, mug there's the one from london i don't know if you saw the article that they did on the university of arizona one uh-huh. that was like that picture would come my arms out so yeah. there's that one that's or if you one. want a family photo i can send you one too but. okay well, yeah one of those work that's good awesome okay so let's start with, um, for questioning, I, I, me personally, like I'm kind of interested in your journey, like how you got here in the first place. So like graduating from Butte County High School, little town in Idaho, where'd you go from there? All right, I'll try and do it. Not not too long. I said that, you know, it's a, a 20-year journey as we were just exactly. talking about. I'm a 20-year class reunion this this week. Um, so I graduated there from, from Butte High School, graduated graduating class of 56 people mm-hmm. in the wonderful small town of Arco and and I went to uh, Rick's College mm-hmm. um, afterwards and uh, went on an LDS mission for two years to uh, Birmingham England and then went back to Rick's for a year um, graduated from there with my associates and Rick's is where I started with athletic training I worked with okay. the athlete uh, the sports there at Rick's College and then transferred to Utah State 
um, is the that I always my claim to fame is that I actually graduated from Ricks because they made the announcement two weeks that they were changing to BYU Idaho after I graduated. So, so, so I, everyone would say, "Oh, did you go to BYU?" Nope, I went to Ricks. That's so. right. You were a Viking. But, uh, I was a Viking. So, and then uh, went to Utah State and continued with the athletic training program there. Worked with a lot of variety of sports while I was there. Track actually was kind of the last sport I worked with um, my senior year, and that was interesting because I really enjoy track and field myself. I, I ran at Butte High School on the cross-country and track team there and, and um, got into running marathons when I was in college. Mm. So I've done 10 marathons and one Ironman. Oh, so wow. myself, I enjoy that type of activity and sports and, and everything. And so my senior year, I started working with, with track and really enjoyed it, really to kind of combine my passion for the sport as well as my passion for athletic training. Mm. And uh, and excelled with it, I would say. And so I stayed and finished my master's there as well. So did five total years at Utah State. Um, and then my two years working on my master's, I also worked with the, with the track team, but it essentially was in, was in charge of that sport. They had put me in charge of the sport. And uh, so that's where I kind of got a lot of good experience working with them. And then in, so that was 2005. I um, got accepted or uh, got offered a job with the U.S. Olympic Committee at the Olympic Training Center in Lake Placid, New York, mm. and went there. It was a one-year position, and that was kind of my how my journey with Olympic sports kind of started. Um, I guess to the, the kind of backtrack, one year before that in 2004 was my first Olympic trials that I worked. I went and volunteered at, down in Sacramento, and so... Um, this last Olympic trials was my fourth straight trials that I'd been to and, and worked with. So um, so I kind of had done that, and then that opened my eyes to wanting to do more stuff with Olympic sports. And so that's when I heard about the fellowship, applied for that, got fortunate enough to get offered the job and took it and worked with a lot of winter sports in Lake Placid mm-hmm. it was during the Torino Olympic year. And didn't go to games or anything like that at that time, but I got worked with a lot of athletes and medical people, and it was just – really kind of helped kind of help me decide what I wanted to do with with my career that I wanted to work with Olympic athletes at some point and you know and there's not a lot of full-time jobs with it there are some at the training centers but it worked I got offered a job after that year working with track and field at BYU and that at the time to me was kind of dream job because it was back towards closer to family and then working with track and field and and uh so i worked in that position for five full years but during that time i had opportunities to continue to help with the olympic sports that uh it started from working at the training center and so my actual first games experience was actually a paralympic games in 2008 i went to beijing for the paralympic games with a sport called goalball goalball so Goalball, yeah, okay. it's for vision impaired athletes. Okay, okay. So, and uh, you know they were great to work with. I, and when I was there, the Paralympics, I worked a little bit with track and field. I helped more in the village when they, when they were, when they needed help. That's because of my track and field background. Mm-hmm. You know, they they was like, oh, if they needed help, they sent them to me, and I helped out when I could, and things like that. And so, after 2008, when I was kind of looking the future I had set a goal that I wanted to also work in Olympic games and so I started doing more with the able body, the 
U.S. track and field team, and and in 2009 had my first opportunity to work a world championships at senior level uh, in Berlin, Germany, oh, wow. and uh, and so that was unique opportunity, and and it was kind of funny about that time period. I'd actually been asked to to work the championships, and then shortly after that, my wife and I got engaged, and mm-hmm. and she, her goal was trying to make that team as well, and so we ended up being on that team together and we got married two weeks after that so it was kind (laughs) of crazy how everything uh kind of went uh came come together i guess so um and then we were able to continue our journey together in that aspect um so but uh, after so then 2011 we went to korea for world championships um is there and that was about that time period that we had that world championships is um looked at a different opportunity at a different job with track and field at University of Arizona. So that's what kinda kept brought me down here. Um Jill's coach at the time was down here and so and I it was a good job for me and so we, we moved down here but you know and it was a lot of world as a family kind of try definitely was a challenge at times to balance our two careers you yeah. should say you know as hers is a olympic shot putter and mine is as working as an athletic trainer and things but um bottom line it came down to you know family is the most important thing and, right. and if you're able to do things together that really makes a big difference and it we didn't have any children at the time so it was just awesome to be able to travel a lot together right. and, and both of us were achieving our dreams but while doing it essentially and mm. and uh so in 2012 um, I had the opportunity to be on the medical staff there, and Jill uh, was fortunate to make the team as well. And, yeah. and she always said, as she did for this one, it's like, it's no fair. You put the pressure on because you usually know at least six months in advance of the games that you're going. I only get to know like a month advance. So, right. <laughs> but uh, so that was kind of you know unique in that aspect. So we we got on the team together. But 2012 was a little bit different. She had the opportunity. She was at the time ranked third in the world going into that. Mm-hmm. Um, the Olympic Games was throwing very well. She had practice throws that could win the Olympics, and and then she got hurt five days before oh, her needed no. a disc in her back, and no. she still competed, but it just didn't go as well as she had hoped. She ended up finishing fifteenth, and mm. so it was it was tough to to be there and to experience that, but then also have a little bit of that disappointment of not be able to totally achieve your goal right. because you know she had. A, her goal wasn't just to make the Olympic team, it was to get an Olympic medal, and right. and so she fell short of that. But ultimately, when it came down to it, um, we were both very blessed to to be there. You know, we definitely felt like that. You know, God had a plan for us. That there was a reason why everything happened, and uh, so you know, afterwards, um, she had to have back surgery, and then that next year she was um, going to try and compete, but it just didn't. Things just weren't going well just wasn't back wasn't responding well to things just needed more time and so we decided to kind of well it's time to put the throwing on hold and let's try and start a family and so that's kind of where we we started the uh our daughter was born in 2014 and that's where our perspectives have changed a lot on life (laughs) now that we have our daughter and it's just amazing you know and it's when you look back at it you know the lord does play has has is you know everything happens for a reason and and then that's uh the importance of everything and so we look at that and maybe that's why that we didn't didn't had had to look at that so sure. 
and as we're now in 2016, um, I had the so in 2012, the head up like trainer of the U.S. track and field team at the time had asked me that hey, you know, this is something I think that you would excel at. I want to try and mentor you, and so I tried awesome. to do what I could, and and then I, in 2013 I stepped into a different role with USA Track and Field on a committee that kind of helped put me into the position I am. And I'm excited to, to work it. There's a lot, I've got a great staff. So but that gives you a little bit of rundown of, of yeah. my history there, where I've come and, and accomplished and um, definitely been blessed to accomplish a lot of unique things in my career. So, That's cool. Um, when did you when did you know that this is what you wanted to give your life to? Like I know I want to do this. This is my passion. Was it young? Was it in high school? Did you know then that uh, I I want to be involved in this as long as I can? Or uh, no, it wasn't in high school. When I was in high school, growing that small town Arco, you know, I, I wanted to get out of there right away. So I wanted to be an airline pilot because then huh. I knew I definitely couldn't live in Arco because you know there wasn't much of an airport there. So <laughs> right, but. Uh, it, and I got accepted to flight school, but it just wasn't quite the right timing. Wanting to go on a mission a year after okay. high school, I decided to to wait on that. And and uh, when I enrolled at Rick's College, I enrolled in marine biology because I didn't realize you could just enroll in gen, gen ed. And uh, so when I got there, I went to the first advisor meeting. And they started talking about marine biology and how there's not that many jobs and your gpa has to be so high i'm like yeah this isn't for me i need to look for something that's more what i want to do and and my parents are both emts there in arco and so they were always involved um in the medical side of things and that Mm -hmm. always intrigued me in that aspect of helping and my passion for sports you know when i heard about sports medicine i was like that sounds like something i'd be interested in it really was once i kind of went into it like everything i i don't go just part way I was if I commit to something I'm going all the way and that's what I did and so I just really once I started with it, it was there was kind of no turning back you know there's different decisions along the path that I'd, I'd looked at maybe going to um, to be a chiropractor or med school mm-hmm. but ultimately my path just kind of kept going with athletic training I just enjoyed working one-on-one with the athletes and that with those other professions it's hard to do that just solely that where athlete training there's a lot of job opportunities where you're working just sure. one-on-one with athletes and that's what i enjoy the most is is doing working with them because they're they're so motivated and they want to get better right. and and it's just then you're part of it you know you travel i travel with the team mm-hmm. and so it's it's definitely not an eight to five job by any means right, right. um but it's definitely a unique job that i get to see a lot of i've been to so many different places because of it that I, there's no way I would have been able to afford to do it on my own. Um, yeah, and right. so it is... opened a lot of doors for me in that aspect. So cool. So how, you're talking about that. It's not an eight to five job. It's not, you know, regular set hours, a lot of traveling. And now you have a child thrown into the mix now since 2014. And what's yep. her name? What's her name, by the way? Miley. Miley. And so now with Miley there and with you and your schedule, and with your wife and her aspirations and dreams and goals, and it takes a lot of hard work for her too. How do you guys balance all that? What's how do you make it work? <laughs> it, it's definitely a, I would call it a circus act for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to do everything, but uh, it really is a lot of give and take between both of us. You know, we'll, we both have to have a little bit. So we got to do this, and that, and then my coworkers are great um, in that aspect. My boss has always been really 
good. He's very family oriented and, yeah. and there's, we had times, um, year ago and we've had several times where Miley traveled with us with yeah. to track meets cause oh, she started awesome. coaching, got in a situation, she started coaching and they were, they were understanding of it. And, and thankfully tracks a little different than like basketball where it's not right. quite as high profile. And so the coaches are a little more lenient and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, Obviously, we were blessed with a wonderful child that was uh, understood what was going on. But it's funny how all the athletes know her by name, and oh, you know, every cool. time they see her, they want to give her a high five and, and things. And so she's definitely learned to to adjust to the different schedules. Of we right. talked about for a long time, um, she didn't sleep in her own bed. So it's trying to you know, everyone talks about with their children how they okay well they go to bed at 7 30 so we can't do anything after that it's like whoa do you guys have a schedule what's that you know it's like, right it's like she goes to bed when she goes to bed and then she wakes up when she wakes up that's kind of how it goes <laughs> she has a set schedule it's she sleeps for 10 hours it just depends whether it's from 8 to 10 or if it's from 10 to 8 you know it just right. depends so but it, no it really is just balancing and then but really when it comes down to it as a family we've communication is a key my wife and i got to talk every night okay what's the plan tomorrow okay that's what we gotta do and then we've had a lot of great friends and people um, people from our church that help out yeah. watching her on occasion um and then family helps out a lot with um we don't live close to any family but we've had family come in and help um oh, nice. on several occasions um fly down and so so that that helps a lot but but really is it ultimately it's a circus act trying to yeah. to do it but it's it's been a a journey because of it and that's one thing that my wife uh is always kind of we were talking about last week it's not all about the end goal mm-hmm. of, in right. life it's more it's more about the journey and enjoying right. every step along the way exactly very good uh what um what would you say to someone who maybe they need a little extra motivation to continue to become the best that they can be what do you say what if you could boil it down to just a brief little pep talk, what would you say to someone? Ultimately, you know, looking at, I think when someone needs a little extra motivation is trying to find a role model, trying mm-hmm. to find someone they can connect with and relate to, um, whether it be a current Olympian or whatever it may be, or maybe it's a parent or whatever, someone that's that's been able to accomplish something that they can find as a role model and, and will be there to kind of help them with in their journey that they're going on and what and their goals that they're trying to accomplish. And those role models can be a key figure in helping people to move forward and, and to accomplish goals that they have. And then I think the other thing I always tell people that, you know, it's good to set lofty goals, like I want to be an Olympian or those type of things, but also set realistic goals sure. you know, yep. to, as steps to get to there. Because every one of these Olympians um, didn't become an Olympian overnight you know they had to do certain things to get to where they're at so you know make sure you use a step process when you're setting these goals but utilizing your role models around you to help you and and oftentimes people don't realize who the role models could be they think it has to be a professional athlete or something like that not necessarily it can just be someone that's that help inspire you to do something whatever it may be Okay, and your brother wanted me to ask you if you shaved your eyebrows, and uh, <laughs> apparently, oh, is, there, is there a family joke there about that? I don't know what he was talking about there. So, I do get my sideburns get a little long, and you know, he's the he's the one of the families. My uh, our father uh, has 
you know, always has a beard. I never know my dad without a mustache. Ever right. since I was born, he's always had at least a mustache. So he's kind of at the facial hair of the family. <laughs> my brother, I'm the oldest, but my brother Jake kind of got the next, he's next in line for the facial hair. I just yep. do it on occasion, but mine's using my sideburns. So they always give me, tease me that I need to shave my sideburns a little bit. I don't know about the eyebrows, but, but, uh, yeah, you know, and then then there's TJ that's trying to grow out the facial hair, but he needs to keep trying a little harder, you know. So, <laughs> awesome. But uh, we have a great family, and I love having three brothers. You know, it's yep. it's a lot of fun. So, but uh, thankfully to my mom now, she has two daughter-in-laws that she can yeah. uh, can uh, relate to a little more. <laughs> that helps her. Awesome. She's happy about that. Now she's got some granddaughters too. So. You mentioned uh, going on your missions trip when you were younger. How does your faith impact what you're doing in your career? And then how do you stay connected to that when you're yeah, on the road so much? It can be challenging. Um, but, you know, the things that I learned on my mission by um, trying to – was the biggest thing was communication. You know, I learned how to talk to people and how to serve. And I feel like those two things – is when you are serving others, you know, you learn you learn so much yourself, and and then and so it's through mm-hmm. that that service, whatever you're doing, you're you're growing yourself, and I think that's what's great yeah. about it. And then, you know, we've I've had the opportunity to go to church in many different countries, and it's just fun to to do that. And I've gone to churches of other faiths as well. You know, there's been some times not necessarily a Mormon church on the street, so let's go to a Christian church mm-hmm. or whatever it may be, and that's what's kind of fun to be able to mm-hmm. to just be open to that and and then to um, cool. listen to others and those type of things. But I and that I definitely learned from a lot from my mission and those type of things from talking with people and mm-hmm. and trying to to teach them about God and then yourself you learn from others because. You're never. It's like same thing with yeah. my profession. Is the same thing with religion. You're never going to know everything, and you're going to always learn something right. from others. And that's what's great about it. And, and you know, and I've learned a lot of things from people that didn't necessarily believe in God, but they, you still learn a lot of unique aspects from them about their journey in life, even though they feel like. Yeah. To them, there there isn't a God, but they they still have certain things that their goals and aspirations that they're achieving for, and so you know that's what's fun about it is just mm. learning from everyone and whatever religion, faith, or belief they have. Yep. Awesome. Okay, so we have a series of questions to close the interview okay. that we ask everyone who's on the podcast. Yep. So are you ready for these? Okay, the first question is, what are you reading? What am I reading? Oh, I'm not a big reader. I th- I, would, I would say the most, I okay. read the scriptures often, uh, and then um, mm-hmm. I oftentimes read the Journal of Athletic Training. So we'll put it that. Okay. Okay. What are you listening to? So it can either be some new music maybe you're checking out or a podcast that you recommend to somebody or... So I that? usually listen to whatever's on the radio, and my my wife usually has country music on the radio. So there's that. If I if <laughs> if I'm the only one in the car, then I put on sports radio. I love love listening to the sports broadcasters there talking about all the different things going on in the sports world. But those are the keys of the, the two things. So. Awesome. <laughs> okay, and what are you when you have time? What are you watching? Like any good shows on Netflix or Hulu or so, anything like that? 
Um, recently, I've gotten in. I love watching American Ninja Warrior. Just always inspired by her in there, and there now watching go. the Spartan Race. Um, my wife and I enjoy watching. We watch some reality TV shows. Our favorite reality TV show is Amazing Race because one day we want to do it. But uh, yeah. Um, and then oh, I think, awesome. That'd be so cool. I think uh, oh, Hawaii Five O is kind of our favorite because it makes us want to go to Hawaii every time we watch it. Ah, <laughs> nice. <laughs> cool. Um, what is your go-to drink? My go-to drink. Uh, well, if anyone knows me, they know I always have a sports drink in my hand. I mean, I'd probably drink that more than water. Yeah. You know, it kind of goes to do what I say, not what I do, type of thing. So, but, uh, but yeah, whether it be Gatorade or Powerade, it's always a sports drink. And then I'm, I like lemonade as well on occasion. But, but yeah, this. There you go. I don't uh, think I've uh, gone through a day in my life in the last 10 years where I didn't have a sports drink in my system. So, <laughs> Awesome. And then last question. Uh, actually, I'll have one more after this one, too. But if I came to visit uh-huh. you in Tucson, where uh, oh, where would you take me Tucson, to Tucson, we got to take you to Mexican for sure. We'd probably we'd go to yeah. – uh, well, so there's one called Guadalajara where they make fresh salsa at your table. Um, that's one of my favorite uh, oh, nice. Mexican restaurants. And my wife has one downtown, and I, of course, not thinking of it. But we'd definitely take you to some good uh, Mexican here in Tucson. <laughs> Very cool. Okay, and uh, I guess my last question would be, um, how can people kind of keep tabs on what you're doing kind of behind the doors? I'll definitely hopefully have an opportunity behind to post scenes. some stuff on the social media, my Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, but for the most part, you know, I'm a behind the scenes guy, so I'm just trying to keep the athletes right. healthy right. and all those type of things. But I'd say, uh, they're def- I'll, I'm definitely going to try and put some on my, my Twitter is at trainer nine one one. Um, and so that one's open to everyone. Mm-hmm. And that's the same with my Instagram as well. So. Very cool. Well, Dustin, man, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. And congratulations on the fantastic honor. Thank and you. I appreciate it. It's always good talking to a fellow Butte High graduate. And uh, and so I'm excited. <laughs> I've got a great medical staff to work with and coaching staff and excited for this uh, journey that's taken us down to South America. It'll be fun to have the first uh, Olympic Games in South America. So excited about it. Let me take just a second here to thank you, our listeners, for checking out the podcast and for your words of encouragement and support. I know what you're probably thinking about right now. You're thinking, this podcast is all right. Not bad. Not bad. And maybe you're also thinking, I wonder how this podcast could possibly get any better. Well, first of all, thank you for thinking that. And secondly, oh, it can. You see, we're just learning. We're just getting started. And one thing that we've learned so far is that we need to upgrade our tech, our sound equipment, and pretty much everything else. We're also learning putting this show together takes a little bit of scratch, if you know what I mean. A few sticks of cheddar. Money. I'm, I'm talking about money. And this is where you come in. If this podcast is something that you enjoy, something you'd like to see continue, something you'd like to see get better and better, would you please consider donating a little something-something? If you're interested, you can find us at www.themissionplace.org slash allthatsholyblue-collar. Look for the donate button at the bottom of the page. We happen to fall under the auspices of The Mission Place, which is a 501c3 organization that is like a network of guides and teachers for developing gifts for service. 
a partner for those who are called to service within the church, and basically a, a resource for those who love the church. Through partnerships with multiple organizations, institutions, and churches, the Mission Place brings together gifted individuals to work together for specific projects. Now, all of your donations to help the podcast are tax deductible for this reason, and any extra we receive that does not go directly to the show will be given to the Mission Place and its good cause. There will be further avenues to help us with the podcast coming in the future, like maybe a Patreon page, for example. But in the meantime, we want to thank you again for listening and considering donating to the All That's Holy Blue Collar Podcast. Codilla? <laughs> What's up, Juicy Justin? <laughs> oh, man. I remember when I first saw you post that nickname, I was like, really? Juicy Justin? <laughs> uh, and uh, what did we decide it was for Craig? Um, crash Test Craig? Crash Test Craig. Crash Test Craig. <laughs> yep. Better than Comb Over Craig. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so I really don't comb over. Good. You have a nice, you have a nice head of hair. May I just well, say? I wouldn't say that, but when you have a receding hairline from the forehead going back, it you know, it hasn't gotten back all the way far enough for the comb over. It'd be more of a comb down. <laughs> a brush down. <laughs> yeah. A comb down, yeah, or a brush down. <laughs> a comb under, maybe. You know, but I'll go, with, I'll go with crash test. I like that one. That is good. Crash test, Craig. I like that one, too. <laughs> it, it, it just reminds me of all the things that I wish I had done. Speaking of, okay, Justin, what do you got for us? What I was going to say was something that's been on my mind a lot lately is that there's, in order to really, it seems like with the knowledge we have now, at least, this could change over time, is that to be humble, you really have to find the, you really have to walk the fine line between humility and realism. I was going to say humility and honesty, but I think realism is a better word, and, I, and I'll explain why, and that you have like, it seems like we've typically thought of being humble, you know, to think either lowly of yourself or to admit that you don't deserve that much credit or, and I think that to an extent those can be true, but there also there's to be humble. You also have to admit a sense of honesty as to who you really are, what qualities you really have. And like, like the best exemplified, like the fine line between humility and realism, like, well, let's just let's use Cody like as an example. Like for someone like Cody, I've heard him do this before. Like as a pastor, you know, talking about like reading scriptures. I know Cody would be definitely open-minded to saying something like, you know, I can learn something about scripture from anybody, or someone who just picked up the scriptures could teach me something I've never learned from it before, and uh, things like that. Like very open-minded and very genuinely humble to have you know, a very humble look at, you know, his own knowledge and how he doesn't know everything, that he's open to learning more, things like that. If then Cody was to take it to the to another extreme and say something like, I am the stupidest person in the world when it comes to reading the scriptures, and if you get me in a room full of uh, people who've had lobotomies, I would be the dumbest one in reading these things. I mean, at that point, you're not being, you know, at that point, like Cody might even say that and have a genuinely humble heart, but at that point, someone like Craig or I would have to 
pull them aside and say, no, that's, that's just not true. You know, you're, you have, there's nothing wrong with at least being honest about your credentials on these subjects. And, uh, right. and that's really something that I've been thinking a lot about is just that to be humble, you have to, there also has, there's nothing wrong with standing up for your credentials and standing up for what you know and acknowledging that at times you also have to defer and that you have a lot to still learn about the world. And um, I don't know, for me, I guess there have been times in my life when I haven't fully realized that. And uh, and it's just something that I've kind of had to pick up over time. And I'm I'm grateful that there are always that like the person that I am now isn't the same as the person I was three years ago or six years ago. And it seems like there's always more wisdom to learn. There's always more knowledge to learn about the world. And, um, and just when you think you have it all figured out, you find that there's another angle to it that you weren't quite seen before. And so I really feel grateful for the fact that we have an opportunity in life to learn more and to, dig up new bits and pieces of information and learn how to become better people and that the resources are all out there for us. We just, uh, we have to be open-minded and we have to be willing to find them. And, uh, we don't always have to hold the traditions and we live in a, we live in a country thankfully in which we don't have to either. And so that's just, uh, that's just something I was really grateful for. It's just that we have the capacity to continue in wisdom and knowledge. Mm. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. The uh, <clears throat> the brain that is always flexible, I guess, you know, well, it's it's that I think one of the one of the things that's really fun for coaching and is is to have a kid who's coachable. Mm, yep. Yeah, it's, it's great to have an athlete who's great, you know, really you know, together, top notch, fast, strong, all that stuff. Yeah. But. You know, even even the the best athletes I've coached at, you know, in high school, even they have something to work on, right? And something to improve. Sure. Yep. You know, and and when you come up to them and go, hey, you know, when you did this, try this next time, and they 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 look at you and they go, oh, okay, yeah, I'll try that, and then they'll do it and they'll go, hey, how did that how'd that go? What's interesting is some of these top athletes, you know, high-performing athletes, they have everything to brag about. Right. You know, at, at the high yeah. school level, they've, you know, they've got records, they've been to state meets, you know, they might be a state champion, but they still recognize they've got areas to improve and they want to learn and they want to, they want to, they, they want to be better. Yeah. And, and there's there's a level of humility there. But it doesn't take away from the expertise exactly. and the confidence, right? Well, it's like uh, so. <clears throat> me, I'm always trying to improve as a speaker um, because that's you know one of the things that I do. And I heard about this fella. Uh, so, like, I'm in Toastmasters, for example, and in Toastmasters, you know, it's about getting practice in speaking and becoming better. And I've heard about this gentleman who actually won every year they have like a national or a international competition in the group for the best, you know, to see the best speaker, you know, in the world or at least in that group. And, you know, Toastmasters has hundreds of thousands of people all over the globe, oh, maybe, yeah. you know, maybe more. I don't know. But anyway, so 
this gentleman, he won it, you know, one year. So essentially, he was, at least in that group, the best speaker in the world. And the very first thing he did <clears throat> after he won, I mean, aside from, you know, the award ceremony and things like that, but he stopped at a, uh, a bookstore or a library or something and, and checked out or bought a book about public speaking because he felt like, he, so he knew, you know, yes, I've, I've kind of reached this crowning achievement, but I have so much more, you know, that I can learn and, and, and accomplish, you know? So, um, yeah. So I think about that and how that guy, you know, very first thing was, yeah, I need more, I need more knowledge. I need more ideas and tips and practice and yeah. And, and while I, I really affirm this, the, 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 this concept of holding together uh, humility and um, and realism, I, I do have a hunch, Justin, that you'll never be able to run with run for public office because of that. <laughs> That's right. Oh yeah, watch me. <laughs> humility, humility does tend to be a limiting factor for politicians for whatever it's reason. Not. Well, it's funny that in this day and age, I think. And I actually don't blame politicians so much for this, but it's so weird to me that like changing your mind on a subject is so taboo. You know, oh, like right. if, know, we hear a <laughs> if a politician, if a politician has a different view now than what they had in the seventies, they're right. considered a flip flopper. I mean, right. I think that for anyone like, again, humility and realism, it's like, if you say, uh, if you learn new information and so you change your mind as a result, exactly. I mean, that's what you should do, right? Exactly. That's a good sign to me. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, that's a sign of strength. <laughs> yep, exactly. Or, or worse yet, if you don't, if you don't learn new information, <laughs> right. and just stop it right there. <laughs> yep. Yeah, if you stop yeah exactly. Learning, if you're just, if you just choose to not change at all, that's true. You're just simply disconnected from the entire world at that point. Yep. Yep, pretty much. Pretty and much. therefore, yeah. you can be elected to office. So. <laughs> uh, pretty much, um, yeah. Either that, or either that, or you um you have to spin it in a certain way that makes it look like you didn't change your view. Which exactly. No, I thought that all along. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. That's what they do. It's like you said this once then, and then you said this later, you can't just say, well, I learned more information and I realized that this was the right way to go. You have to, you do, you have to be like, oh no, I, I meant that the entire time. Yep. Well, and, and so since we talked about the events of last week, I genuinely was impressed with um, Newt Gingrich uh, because he came out and said, you know, I used to not think this, but now I know it's been shown to me that if you are black in this country, you, um, the odds are greater for you for things like getting pulled over, for getting scrutiny, getting things like that. And he said, and I used to not think that. I used to, you know, just write it off, but it's been revealed to me. Uh, and I've learned from and listened to other people's experiences. And now I know there is, there is a different, oh, there is a difference. And I was very impressed wow. with that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't hear him say that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is good. That is that's huge. Mm -hmm. That might not. That might not win him a ticket on the Trump ballot because I heard he might be. He was possible for VP for Trump. Right. Exactly. 
Well, either that or maybe he knows he's on the short list. And so now he's like trying to help Donald move to the center, you know, <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, it could be anything. But uh, but yeah, like you, I'm glad he said that. too. Yeah, I thought that was huge. I, I just got to generally genuinely give him props for that. That was uh, I thought a, a nice thing, a good thing. That's good. That's, yeah. that's nice. It's nice to see something positive happen in in the political conversation. Right. Exactly. is what series on netflix hulu amazon prime or even on good old-fashioned tv uh, broadcast network broadcast should other people be watching that you're watching or you know basically what are you watching i'm gonna go so here we go my suggestion uh on netflix my wife and i right now are watching a fantastic series called Grace and Frankie. And I don't know if either of you have heard of that yet or watched it, but um, we, we're a little late to the bandwagon for it because it actually is, I think, in its third season. But it is a fantastic little show, and it has, um, it has Lily Tomlin. It has... Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, it has uh, Martin Sheen. It has uh, Sam Waterston. And it has... Um, uh, 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 Jane, Jane Fonda. And the whole idea behind the series is that, um, uh, oh, Grace and Frankie are, is, uh, Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin, and they were married each respectively to Martin Sheen and to Sam Waterston's character. And it turns out Sam Waterston and, uh, Martin Sheen's character are closeted gay, uh, closeted gay guys. And they fall for each other. And so when the marriage equality bill passes, they become they they realize they can get married in their relationship. They no longer have to hide. And so they break it to their spouses who they've been married to for 40 years, you know, and it just creates chaos. Uh, I bet it does. (laughs) But anyway, it's really interesting to watch because. You have these older actors who are obviously very talented, but, you know, older actors get overlooked. And yet here's this fantastic series that is really showing off their abilities. Um, Lily Tomlin in particular is just genius, hilarious. It's great. So I recommend that one. And my time's Uh, up, by the way. All right, Justin, your turn. My turn? Okay. The show I was going to recommend when we were just doing Netflix, I was thinking about House of Cards because I love that show. But the thing that I honestly, and I'm not kidding, I honestly worry about with a show like that is that 
most people I know are so cynical for cynicism's sake toward politics that they would see a, they would see a show like that and it just make them more cynical and angrier and be like, this is how politics is in real life. And even though very most sources have confirmed that's not how politics no. really works. <laughs> and so I'm uh, so I'd be reluctant to do that one. I'm going to go kind of lightweight on this one. And the show that I really have come to really like, it's on Netflix now too, is Tim Allen's Last Man Standing. Mm, okay. If you haven't watched that one, I actually highly recommend it. It um, I started watching it just a little bit. Oh, that's my time right there. Wrap it up. Yep. All right. <laughs> Last Man Standing. Last I recommend standing. check it out on Netflix. Okay. Don't start at season one. Start at season two. Oh, okay. Now, Craig, your turn. Hulu. We watched uh, the season, I think it's just one season so far, of The Path. Mm. It's the story of a um, kind of cult-like group that emerges uh, in uh, New York, upstate New York, ends up having satellite branches across the country and is connected to some um, kind of pan, uh, I won't say pantheistic, but some kind of uh, you know nebula, nebulous uh, religion out of uh, Brazil or South America or, you know, Incans, I'm not sure. But what's fascinating to watch is this portrayal of a religion emerging and developing where people are classified by how advanced they go along these different rungs of what they call the ladder. Yeah. And how as people progress in this, you know, spiritual spirituality, uh, they can begin using power over others and it all begins to dissolve. What might have been at once a positive spiritual experience all begin, you know, which we don't really even know the genesis. We we come kind of in, you know, in midstream of to this 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 religious group. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's fascinating. It's it's stories of families. It's stories of how we twist religion, mm. and you know, an individual, the, the the protagonist, struggling to find his way out of this. Uh, limited religious worldview and actually kind of pursue something deeper, more profound and what that costs loss Mm. of family, loss of community, but still truth calls on. Oh, the